Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studio, it's time for the GNFCC 400 Insider. Connect, build, and grow with the Greater North Fulton Chamber of Commerce. Good morning, everyone, and welcome. We are excited to have you join us today. Uh, We ask you to please keep your microphones on mute so we can avoid any background noise. And if you have a question for our presenter, we would ask you to use the chat feature. We will be addressing all the questions at the end of the presentation. So that's the method that we'll use. And we'll use, uh, we'll cover as many questions as time allows. Um, I'm Callie Boatwright. I'm the president and CEO of the Greater North Fulton Chamber. And we're delighted that you took an hour out of your day to join us, especially on a Zoom webinar. I know that we're all having abundance of those lately. I feel like you're really gonna enjoy this one. I will tell you that um, Greg Logan is our speaker today and I had the pleasure of hearing Greg's presentation a couple of weeks ago and thought it was absolutely stellar and information that um, I wanted to bring to our folks here. And so Greg was kind enough to say yes when we asked, and we're just delighted to have him here with us today. Um, I also want to thank John Ray. We'll be uh, taping today on Business Radio X and making that available um, on our podcast. So without further ado, I'd like to uh, introduce Greg Logan, who is an RCLCO Managing Director based out of Orlando, Florida office. He has more than 35 years of development and consulting experience. Greg has worked with real estate developers, landowners, cities and counties, private investors, builders, and legal and accounting firms. Greg's consulting work has included market and financial evaluations, fiscal impact assessments, economic impact evaluations, economic development strategies, valuations, and litigation support for a wide range of real estate product types. Greg is incredibly knowledgeable, and I'm really looking forward to what would be a two-week later presentation, as I know these are constantly updated. Greg, welcome to the Greater North Fulton Chamber. We really want to thank you and appreciate you joining us today and are very excited about your presentation. Thank you. Nice to be here. Nice to be with you. I've shared my screen. Hopefully, you can all see that as well. Are you seeing my screen now? Yes, we can see it. Okay, great. Terrific. Well, let me uh, jump in. Um, and I guess we'll have time for Q&A at the end, correct? That's correct. If everybody just wants to use the chat feature, then you will okay. be able to put in questions and Greg will uh, bring them up at the end and see how many we can get answered. Great. Okay, well, I'll jump in. Um, so this is a you know moving bit and... You know, we are uh, real estate advisors and work with uh, both developers and investors and builders. And and so we're trying to keep up with all this information, keep it as real time as possible. Uh, some of what I'm going to share with you was put together uh, at the end of April. Some of it is uh, current as of yesterday. Sort of depends on when the information is available. But uh, what I was going to share with you is uh, start off uh, uh, with sort of, uh, you know, where are and the health crisis update very briefly. Um, look at, at the employment picture since the employment uh, obviously creates the context for everything else that we're doing. Share a little bit about our point of view on the timing of the recovery, what we think that 
looks like. And, and uh, we've also gone out and, and polled uh, real estate industry participants and asking them uh, how they're doing and, and getting a sense of which segments of the real estate market are, are being affected and how. So uh, we'll talk a little bit about that uh, survey that was just recently done. Uh, and have a little bit of a quick overview on on a few uh, real estate sectors, uh, multifamily for sale in, in particular, and then uh, open up for Q and A. Um, so, real quick, just to sort of get a sense of where we are and and how we stack up in the world and here in the U.S., this just shows the confirmed uh, daily cases of of the virus uh, for the top ten countries that are most affected, and you can see. Uh, the U.S. Uh, is uh, is up there on the top in the, in the green, uh, which is the bad news, which is you know, that we have such a high number of cases. Um, the good news is that um, the, the shutdowns in particular have been effective, uh, and you can see you know cases declining. Uh, although it's been kind of spiky, uh, it, at least the trend is from about 30,000 uh, new daily cases to around 20,000 still you know, very high, but, but, you know, trending in the right direction. Uh, this shows, you know, similar information. Um, just looking at it, it's been uh, historically again, uh, just for the U S and you can see you know, where we started out, you know, very low, very few cases in uh, back in March and, and uh, really spiking in, in April. Uh, but again, you know, on the decline somewhat. Sobering, uh, you know, to to have you know close to 1.4 million cases and and close to 85,000 deaths in the U.S. Uh, and just for, for uh, context, you know, how, what does this mean in Georgia? Uh, almost 34,000 cases in Georgia and about 1,500 deaths uh, to date. And then the map the map is current as of yesterday. Um, so the more importantly, you know, where are we going? What is look like going forward. Uh, most of the models uh, do show uh, the, the trend of new uh, of deaths uh, as a result of the virus declining. Uh, that shows really from April 1, uh, May 1 in the middle of the graph there, and then June 1 on the far right side of the graph. A lot of different models. A lot of these models are based on, uh, on the shutdowns and, and the effect that that had on, on slowing the spread. So uh, the latest news is that these models may change somewhat based on the reopenings, which are you know, expected to to um, you know accelerate things again somewhat. Well, I guess I guess we'll see how that works out. In terms of what's going on in the, the economy, um, close to three million new unemployment claims uh, you know, as of yesterday. So we're at about thirty six million uh, overall just in the last three months, which is really unprecedented and a, and a big shock to the system. I think what we're all hoping is that although this is unprecedented and, and we're seeing the job losses really, uh, really dramatically uh, as we're going into this crisis, that because of the fact that, uh, you know, hopefully we'll get this under control uh, and that the economy was relatively healthy going into this, is that it will have a shorter life and and it won't the recovery won't drag out like it did uh, with the great recession or even the, the the great recession that we had in in 08, 09. the uh, the unemployment rate has gone from about three and a half percent back in February uh, officially in April 
poll from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. It's at close to 15%, but um, we think there's some errors in the calculation there. Unfortunately, errors that likely make that rate higher is more likely in the 20% range. And you go back you know, to previous Aprils, uh, you have to go back to 1948 uh, when we were at about 10.8% to find anything uh, as high. Uh, so clearly the highest level since unemployment, since the uh, Great Depression. Uh, and, the, and the chart on the right just shows you know, the share of the population that's currently employed. So if you are currently working, uh, you are part of the fortunate, uh, you know, 50% that's you know, continuing to work. You can see in the gray bars there, uh, previous recessions. So you can see you know, the immediate previous recession of where, you know, we dipped below 60% employed uh, in 08, 09. Uh, clearly, this is a much greater impact. Just looking at, at where those losses are, um, you know, construction pretty hard hit with close to a million job lo- jobs lost as of yesterday. Uh, manufacturing, retail, uh, pretty significant hits in business and professional services, as well as education and health services. But, you know, really uh, the big loser in all this has been leisure and hospitality with, with uh, you know, tourism uh, being, you know, dramatically impacted. And then, then the chart on the right shows, you know, what uh, the past recessions has been. Uh, the maximum uh, employment decline uh, during those past recessions, and uh, you know how long they lasted, and then the the peak unemployment. So you can see that as of last month, it, whether you go with the official rate of about fifteen percent or the more likely rate of twenty percent, um, this is fairly unprecedented, and, and that creates some you know some context for the, this conversation. Is you know we're we're going to you know share our predictions are and how we think it plays out, uh, but this is new territory for everyone. Um, in a recent survey, this is as of last week, um, you know, talking to people who have been laid off on their expectations of how likely they think it is that they'll be rehired uh, after the home orders are, are lifted, you know, about 77% saying they, they believe they'll be rehired, um, you know, the very likely, you know, you know about 58%. You know, some some economists are are saying you know that may be a bit optimistic, um, that, and there've been a few you know big employers out there like GE, Nordstrom, MGM, and so forth that have suggested that some of the layoffs you know maybe have a longer life than that. Again, we don't know, uh, but you know the highest prediction, her Friedman Institute at, at University of Chicago, saying they're thinking you know, maybe as much as forty two percent of recent layoffs um, could result in some permanent job losses. I hope that's wrong. Uh, but that's you know something we need to keep an eye on. Um, as of uh, as of yesterday, um, looking at you know you know the different economists and their um, their consensus forecast of where we think the uh, the gross domestic product is going to be over the course of the year. Uh, as of a few weeks ago, they were saying they thought that you know somewhere in the, in the you know close to you know negative five percent loss. Uh, that bumped it up. About uh, almost seven percent, well, six point six percent, and um, and then the, the economists were always asked to uh, to grade their um, their forecasts. Is you know, is there more upside or downside in your forecast, or is it about balanced? You can see in in uh, you know past forecasts going back to uh, twenty eighteen uh, that you know the thinking was there was a lot more upside in the forecast, and and right now the uh, the economists are saying this is where we think it is. 
Um, they, unfortunately, you know, could be worse. They're more more downside risk than upside risk. So we're taking all that into consideration uh, and you know plugging that into our own models, and you know, we've we've had uh, sort of three possible scenarios for what we think the recovery looks like. Um, you know, one we're calling the the summer V, which is the one we would all you know hope would be the case. Is it you know we we've taken a big hit in the second quarter of 2020. Uh, by fourth quarter 2020, uh, we're seeing the economy uh, re- recovering a lot of its of lost energy. Um, that that may be the more optimistic scenario, but but certainly if it, when we look at the patterns of past recessions, uh, it's a possible scenario. For example, we go back to you know 2001. Um, the the fall U uh, scenario in the blue line there. That's the uh, it sort of says we don't really get back. Uh, you know, it's a little bit uh, shallower climb out of the recession that we we still see things starting to to click up in by the fourth quarter of 2020 as opposed to the third quarter of 2020 in the summer V scenario. But by the fourth quarter of 2020, we're seeing things tick up a little bit uh, and we're back to somewhere close to our 2019 levels uh, by the first quarter of 2022. Um, that, that would get us, you know, closer to about a 59 uh, loss in GDP, and as you just saw, economists have just you know upgraded their forecast from 4.9 to 6.6. So this is right in the middle of that uh, where we were a couple of weeks ago in the most recent. And then the one where we're sort of calling the Nike swoosh, which is um, you know more more protect, protracted, um, a deeper recession than what economists are currently calling for. This one is not the case, but that's where um, we get a little bit of growth, and then with the job losses, you know things slide a little bit and, and we don't really see, um, you know, us, us climb out until uh, really we're, we're still recovering through 2022. Um, we, uh, we've polled people uh, uh, on a number of occasions in the last few weeks um, in, in, the, in the real estate sector, uh, asking what they think, you know, the most likely scenarios are. Um, you know, unfortunately, few think it's the, the more optimistic summer V, uh, only about a third uh, think that you know we'll have the, the swish, uh, the fall yield, uh, which is again our our most likely scenario of what we believe is is the most likely outcome, um, is the scenario that uh, that has the most support from uh, the three thousand or so folks that uh, that we've been polling, uh, primarily uh, real estate industry, uh, C suite about fifty percent C suite, another twenty five percent senior executives. Uh, within our real estate sample, again, there's the the fall U. As any, we don't have a crystal ball, uh, but that seems to be the most likely uh, scenario. So I want to share with you um, a little bit of uh, the survey results we went out, and and again, we we uh, we do a sentiment survey. We're updating this now. We did kind of a a limited survey to. Uh, get a sense of uh, what participants are seeing out there. And we talk to people across different real estate sectors uh, from hospitality down to industrial. And these are listed in rank order of uh, sort of most severe impact to least severe impact uh, based on the survey responses. Um, and you can see hospitality, uh, retail, regional mall, uh, resort, residential, retail, big box, power center, uh, lifestyle. Uh, all there at the at the top of the chart, 
in uh, in the most severe uh, categories: uh, senior housing, office, uh, student housing. Um, you know, kind of in that that middle range of you know little more moderate impacts, and then getting into more convenience necessity retail, which would include uh, you know grocery and uh, for sale residential rental apartments, uh, healthcare, medical office, uh, and industrial space, um, you know, really in the more um, uh, moderate uh, impact zones. We also asked people, you know, what do you expect to be uh, the impact on your ability to secure capital for your real estate activities? Um, and we asked that for, you know, funding of existing projects under construction. Uh, on one end of the spectrum and on the other end, you know, securing construction debt uh, and new developments. And you can see that uh, at least when this survey was done a couple of weeks ago, um, most expected to be able to continue to secure financing for projects that are underway or for refinancing or recapitalized, recapitalizing, stabilized income producing assets. Um, but, but a little bit uh, less optimistic about securing debt. Uh, for new plan developments, and and we've heard this in our in our practice, um, just in the last few weeks, um, in uh, you know talking with folks, you know, initiating new developments. We're involved in a few uh, new multifamily developments in the southeast, for example, and those that have uh, private equity uh, behind them are moving forward, and those that are are looking to to secure debt financing from from banks have uh, have struggled. Uh, this is looking at where uh, rent collections were just this last month by a different type of real estate asset. So, you know, apartments in the you know, low 90% range, uh, office space in the, the mid uh, 80% range, industrial space. Really, industrial is pretty mixed because um, you have the bigger spaces that are, uh, you know, controlled by, you know, some of the bigger uh, organizations like, you know, Amazon.com and so forth. They're obviously doing very well. Uh, but then you have some industrial space that you know has uh, you know smaller uh, operations, mom and pop operations, and so forth, and many of those are struggling. So it's sort of a mixed bag. Uh, retail somewhere in the thirty to fifty percent range. Um, you know, clients of ours that are are big in the retail space you know, tell us you know LA Fitness isn't paying their rent, Cheesecake Factory is not paying their rent, and and so forth, and and so uh, in fact one of the few that. Uh, uh, one of our clients said, uh, you know, he's still getting getting rent from uh, Starbucks, but you know, a lot of his other tenants just aren't aren't paying rent right now. And then on the hotel side, as not not as rent, as a uh, percent of revenues, hotels are anywhere from zero to thirty percent of, of typical revenues that they would expect. Um, you know, we're paying close attention uh, to what's happening in the multifamily side of the business, you know, and, and, you know, 80% of apartment households made a full or partial payment uh, by, uh, by May 6th for, for May rents so far. And you can see how that compares uh, to 2019 on the chart on the right versus 2020. Not a whole lot different yet. So knock on wood that that, that, that continues to be the case. And as it says in the chart, um, the May rent collections were actually, you know, a tiny bit higher than what they were the first week, week in, in, uh, in April. And then looking again at uh, you know uh, what we've seen for uh, you know the most recent uh, national multifamily housing um, you know for uh, you know the month of April uh, preceding this again was was pretty strong dropped a little bit for 
um, thinking about you know what's happened in past recessions uh, with uh, with multifamily apartments in terms of how long rent declines lasted and and with you know what the decline was in terms of amount of uh, of, of rent uh, that was lost during that period uh, and then uh, how fast that recovered you know following that decline um, you can see that uh, you know in the in the o one and o eight recessions uh, you know that we lost you know between you know four and a half and six and a half percent in in rent uh, that that lasted about seven quarters you know or about a year and a half uh, but then the rent growth that followed that period you know was close it was in that range of three to four percent so so not bad. Um, and during the course of the recessions, in terms of how much rent was given back in concessions, in terms of free rent, you know, between uh, nine and eleven uh, percent. Markets that had you know pretty significant declines, either in in one tech bubble or the Great Recession, the real estate led recession in '08. Um, you can see the uh, Metro Atlanta, Sandy Springs, Roswell, Georgia area where you are. Um, uh, unfortunately. Uh, was you know one of those areas of the country that had some of the largest declines in both recessions, um, with uh, you know rents declining about 13% in 01, and uh, Metro Atlanta about 11% in 08. Uh, the minimum occupancy fell 93, 1% in uh, in 01, and uh, and down to uh, you know a little less than 89% in um, in 08, and then uh, concessions in terms of uh, a free rent. Uh, in Atlanta, uh, Metro, and in the last recession was about 15% of, uh, of rent, um, which compared to about 16% back in 01. So um, it'd, be, it'd be a surprise for us to do better than that uh, this time around. We'll see. Uh, but that gives us a benchmark for what we should be thinking about for those of you who may uh, be in that, that space. I um, want to switch for a second to the, uh, the for sale market. And looking at uh, where that's gone, this is uh, looking at uh, April data on uh, on what happened to traffic, and you can see, you know, traffic really uh, fell off the map there um, in uh, in the last month, uh, and and new home sales, you know, kind of uh, you know big stall. Um, where do we think that's going? Um, this is uh, data for in from uh, just the end of the month here. The May data is not out yet, but the Moody's forecast for uh, last month, you know, the expectation that, you know, home prices will come under some pressure, that we should expect some declines uh, later this year and early next year. Um, but it's in the low single digits, you know, a few percent. Um, looking at uh, on commercial real estate, commercial real estate prices actually decline uh, much more significantly, um, you know, particularly on, on the retail side. Uh, than, uh, than the for sale housing market. In terms of where we think uh, housing uh, supply and demand is going, this shows both starts and the red line and and sales and the green line there. And it looks like we've, you know, in the second quarter of 2020, uh, we're taking a hit in the, uh, you know, the 40% range from the first quarter pace where we were actually up significantly so we're down about 40 percent overall um and and fannie mae's you know forecast is that uh we start seeing an uptick uh there by the third quarter of 2020 and gradually climbing out from the fourth quarter of 2020 and and uh you know, getting back to where we were um in the in the first part of the year back in 
in end of 2019, beginning of 2020, uh, by the fourth quarter of 2021. So kind of a slow climb out between now and the end of next year. Uh, we went out uh, just last week and we talked to the top 50 master plan communities nationally, you know, uh, like the, the Peachtree cities of the world or the Windwards, and, um, just to kind of see what was happening there. Uh, we, we, you know, talked to about 50 communities, the developers of those communities. And what was interesting was their their sales were radically off at the end of, of March. And the first two weeks of, of April were pretty bad. So we're really pleasantly surprised to hear that uh, new home sales, at least in these master plan communities, which you know, may represent a flight to quality, um, but sales in the last couple of weeks were up you know, 30 to 40% over where they were in the first two weeks of April. And some communities were telling us they were up as much as 80% from, uh, from where they had been. So we look at this and see this in terms of the for sale health market as some, uh, some reasons for optimism in, in May as some of the stay-at-home orders begin to lift and, and traffic is back up. You know, traffic is, you know, off uh, 75% in, in most communities across the country, and yet obviously higher in places that have had stay-at-home orders. Uh, although sales have picked up, you know, cancellation rates continue to be somewhat of an issue. Uh, on average, cancellation rates are typically in the 7 to 8% range for new homes, um, up to the 20 to 30% range more recently, averaging somewhere around 20%. And not just that uh, there's more cancellations, but there's uh, you know fewer sales to divide that against. And, and the way uh, market participants are looking at that is about 50% of that is due to the, uh, the virus impacts, you know, 30%, you know, due to, uh, you know, job losses, you know, related to what's happening to the economy and about 20%, you know, being more than normal. Um, for new home communities that uh, that have uh, you know a vibrant uh, online um, uh, virtual shopping setup, their their you know, traffic is up you know a thousand percent or more, um, and um, you know physical traffic was up about fifteen to twenty five percent in late April or early May, um, but uh, you know foot traffic is still way down. But but um, we're even you know hearing uh, communities tell us that they're having some people. Uh, home site unseen, particularly from, you know, hard hit areas like New York uh, and relocating to places like Florida. In terms of, of what the uh, real estate practitioners in this space are telling us, um, they're a little bit more optimistic at the beginning of May, beginning of May than they were at the end of March and early April. Um, it's interesting because consumer confidence, uh, according to the conference board, really that, uh, uh, took a hit in April. Uh, but some of the folks that we Viewed in the last week or in the for sale housing market told us they, they were seeing some, some positive uh, impact on consumer confidence and some consumers that have been sitting on the fence getting back in the market. Um, there's a, you know, some, uh, you know, still some concerns that some of the job losses really haven't, you know, fully played through uh, the economy yet. And, and, you know, whether or not this uptick that we're seeing uh, is sustainable is still a question. Uh, but for the most part, um, um, developers are continuing to, to spend on uh, on developments that are already underway. Um, they're you know pausing on on starting uh, new development projects. Uh, builders seem to be continuing to move forward on existing commitments with developers, uh, but in most cases, you know, asking to you know push their takedowns off by thirty to sixty days. Uh, we're seeing a lot of builders, you know, really 
slowing down their spec home uh, activity, although some uh, David Weekly homes, for example, are making sure that they have at least some inventory in all their communities. Um, they, uh, you know, new ways of, uh, of selling homes, you know, with, st- with the uh, stay-at-home orders, um, you know, are, have been a lot of innovation out there. And I think we'll continue to see a lot of innovation and, and a lot of demand for, uh, for property technology growth. Um, and some, some speculation that, you know, coming out of the downturn, um, even now, some people are reporting that, uh, you know, they're getting people coming out of apartments who just don't want to be in, in, uh, in higher density living and want a little more space and some speculation that this overall will be good for the suburbs that, uh, you know, people are going to want to get it, get away from density. There's really not a lot of good data on that yet. So we'll see how that plays out. We don't know, but you know, things to watch. Um, in the meantime, you know, what is, what does shopping look like in America? Um, you know, for most retail, uh, categories, um, it's not been a great time to, to be in retail unless you're in, in grocery uh, or unless you're Instacart, uh, who has seen just a you know surge and and demand uh, for their services. But um, you know the every every month uh, of this crisis so far, more people have been spending more on uh, ordering groceries online. And you can see that uh, even though people haven't been going into the physical stores, that uh, there's been a, a big increase in uh, in some other uh, store categories that are. You know, overall hard of a big increases in online e-commerce, which again, is just a segment of the market, but at least in e-commerce, you can see, you know, pretty significant growth there. And I guess we're all wondering what, what dining out go, looks like. Um, um, if you're like me, um, you've been going to this restaurant where you, uh, where you have to like put all the ingredients together yourself. Um, and it's a wonder that that place can stay in business, uh, AKA my kitchen. Uh, this is a little interesting, innovative solution in, uh, in Amsterdam there. Uh, we'll, we'll see what, uh, what restaurant looks like in the future. But one of the things, uh, you know, as uh, restaurants are being asked to space people out more, uh, is thinking about uh, turning restaurants into something between a restaurant and a, and a food truck, uh, taking advantage of uh, parking lots and, and moving tables outside is something else that, that we're seeing with that. I will uh, stop and entertain questions. Thanks, Greg. There is a question in the chat box. Um, what do you expect in residential and commercial CNI appraisal values? And also related, what do you see with lender requirements for LTV and debt service coverage requirements? It's a lot of question there. Um, <laughs> I think um, appraisals are, are difficult. You know, if we're talking about residential property versus commercial property, I think on the commercial side, it's really tough to do valuations right now. Um, and um, and I think we'll see you know transactions really really slow down as a result of that. Uh, on the residential side, um, you know, it really depends on on where you are. Uh, we're seeing you know some renewed strength in the master plan community space and the right to quality there. Um, overall, if we do see price declines of, uh, of two to 3% this year, hopefully not higher than that. Uh, but because of, uh, of some softening on, on the resale side, um, that may make it hard uh, that, that, you know, will probably be, you know, show up in appraisals. Um, we just haven't seen a whole lot of data on that yet. 
our 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 hope is that you know with uh, the in the resale uh, housing market that uh, you know were tight our occupancy levels were still you know historical highs um, a lot of people you know pulled their homes off the market in in March decided to you know put things on hold and obviously you know sort of helps them hedge their bets uh, that maybe they didn't want strangers walking through their house and, and coughing uh, totally understandable um, but but that just leads to a tighter market overall um, with uh, with builders uh, with you know going the situation with uh, you know inventory pretty under control and slowing down their construction of of new specs and uh, and sales you know at least as of the last couple of weeks picking up um, all that is going to have a, a positive impact on on prices uh, so you know how much of a decline in in real estate values we see. Um, I don't think we'll have a significant decline and there's a some place that, that are there to keep is kind of where they are. So, you know, maybe, maybe we're flat to losses of a, of a couple percent. Um, we are worried about, uh, lenders, you know, uh, increasing, uh, lending requirements. Um, when we went out and, and looked to see what's happening with, uh, with new home sales just in the last couple of weeks, uh, we we heard reports that the most affordable end of the of the market, uh, the first time buyers were really not coming back, uh, and were most affected. Um, but at the same time, as we talked to communities, uh, they were telling us that their most affordably priced new home product was performing the best in their community. Um, a lot of what what they're seeing out there in the communities is um, a lot of local move up uh, relocations. Obviously, have, have slowed down. Uh, dramatically, but but the market is is continuing to move forward. So I, I think it's important um, as, as we read all the the news in the in the press to remember that uh, the market has not really uh, shut down. There's still a, there's still a viable housing market out there. Are you seeing any increasing uh, foreign capital demand for U.S. real estate properties? <sighs> There really hasn't been any new data on that. Um, our our sense is that uh, you know may uh, may may pause somewhat. U.S. right now has the most cases of the coronavirus, so we're we're the of the ten countries that are most affected. We are uh, far and away the most affected. Uh, so uh, that that's that's likely keeping some people on the sidelines at least temporarily. Got it. You had mentioned banks earlier. Are you seeing any slowing of jumbo loans or equity lines of credit by banks? Um, we've seen lending criteria uh, get a little tougher, a little more scrutiny, and that that's affecting the first time bar market uh, in terms of particular types of loans. Um, I'm not aware that there's been uh, significant changes there. Maybe uh, someone else on the call uh, comment on that. Where where we've seen the most impact so far. Uh, has been on uh, on construction construction lending for for new developments. When you're talking about um, construction um, commercial, um, one of our members here mentioned industrial projects. Can you comment on the industrial sector? Yeah. So 
you know, our, our overall read is that the industrial sector uh, distribution and logistics kind of space in particular, which, uh, you know, is pretty important to, to the Atlanta region. And, you know, that IID quarter, uh, you know, from Atlanta up into to the Carolinas, uh, pretty significant. And, and uh, you have the whole Johns Creek area out there. And um, our sense is that overall industrial is a, is a, is a net winner coming out of this event that, uh, and retail and hospitality, you know, maybe, um, you know, more challenged. Um, the thing we have to remember is that there's a lot of small businesses that are in industrial or business type part, uh, business park type space. Um, and many of those companies that are doing uh, manufacturing, light manufacturing, uh, are experiencing job losses. And so that's impacted the industrial sector. In terms of the, the you know, what happens to the industrial market overall, uh, there's a good chance that the industrial market grows by 5% over where we were, not just because of natural growth, but because of um, the, the, the obvious fact that, uh, that just in time uh, hasn't worked out so well, that not having inventory on hand has turned out to be a big problem. And, and so I think we're going to see uh, a growth in how much inventory is, is kept on hand and how much inventory is kept closer to where manufacturing is happening and or how much inventory is kept closer uh, just to grocery and drugstores. Uh, so they're not, uh, you know, we're spending uh, a lot of, of labor right now on restocking. Uh, and if we just had more product placed close uh, to where the demand is, we wouldn't have that. And, and, and that fact is not being lost on, on people. Um, there may also be some re some some reshoring or on, you know more onshoring, and and the idea that we depend on China for all of our manufacturing and ship stuff over here, that's turned out to be not such a great model. We thought we were saving a lot of money in terms of labor costs, um, but look at how much money we're losing by the fact that we can't get products or we can't get materials we need to to manufacture a simple product. So, I think all of that suggests that that the long term outlook, particularly for for the the, the larger end of the, the industrial market, uh, the, you know, bigger players in that space. Uh, will be a bigger market coming out of this, uh, but we don't want to minimize the fact that there are, uh, you know, smaller uh, industrial distribution spaces out there and smaller uh, manufacturers and so on that, that are being hard hit right now and, and are struggling to, to pay rent. And so it's, it's kind of a mixed picture. Well, I come out of this and the industrial market comes out of this stronger, uh, but we don't want to minimize the fact that there's some pain out there now. Well, um, in relation to um, supply chains, are there um, any thoughts about um, real estate related to, you know, upping those or, um, you know, with warehousing and things like that? Sorry, you, you cut out from me for a second there. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, there was a question about real estate related to supply chains, warehousing. Mm-hmm. So that was really what I was addressing just a minute ago in terms of real estate related to supply chains and warehousing. I'm including that as part of the industrial market. So industrial includes, you know, light manufacturing, manufacturing, uh, distribution, logistics kind of space. Um, the uh, I, I think what we're seeing is that uh, there's a great need for more in the way of, of uh, housing logistics space uh, and closer to population centers. So that we're, uh, and, and keeping more inventory on hand. So, so overall, 
that, uh, that you know, the, the supply chain has been negatively impacted by one, over-reliance on, on China, and, and two, by reliance on, on, you know, having just-in-time inventory, which, which was great because you didn't have to, you know, pay to carry a lot of inventory. Uh, but now that you can't get inventory, you're sort of, you know, stuck because you don't have it on hand. And so I think realization that, you know, ha- not relying on China uh, to as great a degree, uh, not, you know, relying on just-in-time, but actually, you know, keeping more inventory on hand so that uh, manufacturing is, isn't shut down or, um, you know, for example, one of the reasons why uh, it's so hard to buy uh, Clorox wipes or Lysol wipes out there is there's some chemicals that uh, we're waiting on from China we can't get, so we can't, can't make those products. And so you know, that, that just plays out all through the, the supply chain. So I think there'll be some rethinking of that. I hope there will be. You know, sometimes our, our memories are, are, are short with things like this, but I think um, – you know, there's some, we'll see how it turns out. Uh, our crystal ball gets hazy as we look farther into the future. But our expectation is that um, this overall will, will create uh, an, a net increase of you know, maybe 4 or 5% uh, to that and for that kind of space. Which if you think about the, you know, the billions of square feet that we have in that kind of space in this country, um, that's a huge impact and, and bodes well uh, for, uh, for major distribution centers like Metro Atlanta. Well, we've talked about commercial and industrial. Um, someone had a question about investing in uh, residential real estate and if there are better areas that um, we should be looking at. Well, I think, I think um, both for sale and for rent residential will come through this crisis uh, well, um, you know, we, we went into the crisis, as I said, without a whole lot of, uh, excess supply, you know, the, the residential real estate industry, uh, kind of led us into the last recession. Uh, that wasn't the case at all, all this time. So overall, uh, you know, I, I think, I think we're optimistic about what the residential real estate market looks like going forward. You know, a couple areas that we're looking at in particular, um, single family for rent, build for rent. Uh, single family is just a, a very underserved market right now. If you look at past recessions, uh, more people tended to to buy in past recessions, although uh, we're seeing people doing both right now. Um, but um, but there's a, this huge generation that we've been building all these apartments for, uh, the millennials, who in some cases are outgrowing that, but We've also done not a great job of, uh, of addressing for sale housing affordability. And, and so we have this generation that's kind of you know, ready to get out of apartments, but not quite ready uh, to buy a house. Um, most of that, that for sale, that uh, single family for rent market is, is mom and pop. Uh, it's, you know, a lot of individual investors. There, there are a few groups that went out and bought lots of single family homes after the last recession. Um, but the institutional investment in that space is pretty small. Um, and, and so there are a number of players uh, who are sort of transitioning from the, the multifamily space and for rent space. Um, and that's just a, just a huge uh, market opportunity in terms of uh, lots and lots of demand. There are much less of that product being built uh, than is demanded. In terms of where 
the opportunities are, uh, I think we're going to see, uh, you know, there's still uh, the baby boomers are, are still looking for uh, their last best house. And, um, and I think we're going to see, you know, people relocating out of, uh, out of higher density urban markets in, in the Northeast and the Midwest in particular, wanting to relocate to the Southeast. Uh, that may accelerate. I think, you know, there's a little bit of deer in the headlights uh, in March and April and sort of figuring out, uh, but people have been sitting on the fence uh, about uh, moving in retirement. I think we'll see some, some uptick in that. And I think that'll be good for, for, uh, for the Southeast and including Georgia and Florida. Great. Um, we had a question about um, what aspects of your forecast do you have the most confident confidence in and what aspects do you have the most concerns about? Well, I'm not sure which forecast you're referring to. If you're referring to um, the trajectory of the recovery forecast, um, you know, I, I hedged my bets and I showed you, I showed you three. Uh, um, I think that the summer B um, probably is the least likely. I think early on in this crisis, we kind of thought that might be the case. Um, I, uh, the longer, uh, climb out that, you know, takes recovery out into, you know, well into 2022 is probably, uh, pessimistic. Um, I think that the, uh, you know, the, the forecast of, you know, seeing us, you know, experience, you know, recovery through, uh, third and fourth quarter of 2020, and then, you know, continue to, to climb back out uh, through 2021 is, is the most likely. I think the unknown factors out there, you know, is there a second wave of this crisis? Um, you know, with the, the shutdowns ending, um, do we, uh, are we getting back out there too soon? You know, we still have close to 20,000 new cases a day in the U.S. So we're kind of ending the shutdown uh, at a time that uh, we're really not out of the woods. We're, we're worried about the economy, and rightly so. Uh, but uh, but maybe sort of you know, jumping back to business uh, before we're really quite ready. So does does that uh, does that stretch things out? Uh, we were looking at some data uh, from the 1918 pandemic, and uh, to the degree that that you know history is any sort of a guide, uh, we were comparing uh, metro areas that uh, that that uh, continued with sort of the stay at home sort of model. And those that, that tried to get back to business, you know, Denver was one where people were chomping at the bit to get back to business and, uh, and, you know, not wanting to do all the social distancing and all that. Um, and actually uh, their economy took a lot longer to recover. Uh, San Francisco, they, they clamped down on things uh, much, much more harshly. Uh, and their, their recovery uh, was much quicker. And, longer. and we, we saw that pattern across uh, there weren't really state shutdowns back in 1918. It really was something that it was done more at the metro level. Uh, by and large, we saw metro areas. Uh, what, what it seemed to show us is that uh, pandemics cause economic hardship, that that uh, social distancing wasn't the result. It was really uh, the pandemic itself. And, and those areas that uh, sort of resisted shutting down uh, and social distancing uh, took longer to recover. So I worry about that. Uh, I think that that could be something that we're setting ourselves up for here as well. We'll see. Greg, thank you. Um, I 
appreciate everyone staying with us today. And Greg, I know you're doing many of these presentations. I appreciate you taking time out to be with us today. Thank you very much. Uh, we also hope that we'll get the slides afterwards. We've gotten several, I've gotten several invites. Greg's nodding, so I'll take that as a yes. So we will send out the presentation to everyone who is on this uh, afterwards. Again, I want to thank uh, John Ray and Business Radio X for uh, recording this today. We will have that available as well on um, our, our North Fulton podcast uh, site on our website. Our next Economic Recovery Webinar Forum will be next Thursday, May the 21st, and we will hear from a panel of human resource experts on re-engaging employees post-pandemic, so as, as folks are getting plugged back into the workplace. Um, you can register, of course, for that on our website at gnfcc.com, and you will receive the, the call information for Zoom afterwards. Again, thank you so much to everyone for being with us today. Thank you to Greg, and we hope that y'all have a great rest of your week.